welcome. Welcome to K-Drama School. Welcome. Welcome. Nice to be here. Good to see all of you. I have a, a quick thing to share with you. Um, if you're watching the video version of this, you will see that uh, I'm wearing this hat. It's uh, like lambskin, sheepskin sort of material. And then it's like, um, like a conductor's hat. You know, um, what do you call it? Newspaper boy. Newspaper boy hat. It's a particular style. Now, uh, if some of you guys ordered my uh, magnet back when I used to use the username HJ as my Instagram handle, um, some of you might have seen that hat. I was wearing a black color version of this hat, right? Which I found in South Korea. I found it in Seoul back in 2019 when I was living there and it cost like $45. It wasn't cheap. I bought it at this, uh, it was like a souvenir shop um, in like the Hanok village part of Seoul. And um, I just, I tried it on and it fit perfectly and I looked great in it. So I bought it. And then literally like not even a month later, I lost the hat. I went to see Aquaman and it cost me like $36 to see it because I was watching it in one of those fancy movie theaters. Uh, and then I guess I took it off and I don't know, it just got lost and I couldn't find it anywhere. And it was devastating. I was so sad. So I went back to that same souvenir shop because I remember there was a black one and then like a, this beige colored one. And I bought the black one because you know I preferred it but then the beige one was also gone and this was like when winter was about to like you know we were towards the end of the year or was it like early 2020 it might have been no this was early 2019 okay it was early 2019 and so like you know winter was fading out and you know spring collection stuff was coming in so even though I went to like Myeongdong and all those shopping areas none of them had that hat it was just gone and I remember being super bummed out, right? And then a few days ago, I went to Target because I needed to buy a few things. And I saw this hat. Yes, I there was a black one and this like beige colored one. And I was like, what the fuck? So I bought both of them. I bought both of them. It was at Target. Oh my goodness. You have no idea how happy it makes me to find this hat. So okay great yeah sometimes you lose something and then that thing you lost comes back to you um looking exactly like the way you left it I mean literally like it's like the exact same style I could not have I mean it's crazy it's as if it honestly it's probably from the same fucking company it's probably from the same fucking place in any case uh so I'm so happy with my hat and um yeah like it's just been a very chill week uh, today, today I'm recording this on Sunday, and I went to a pot. It's called like Pot Gardens LA. It's on Jefferson Boulevard, and they also have an Echo Park location. But um, I went to the one uh, on Jefferson, and like it was just like a magical time, you know. Um, we had a like a ceramics class for the super moon, so. Um, from Sunday till Wednesday for the next three, four days, it's the super blue moon, the full moon in Pisces. And it's a very special full moon because this is the second full moon of this month. The first full moon was earlier this month, early August. And now this is the big one, the second super full moon and it's called the blue moon so this is the super blue moon in Pisces and that's what's coming up so this ceramics class was 
in celebration of this full moon. And so we go in and then we just make whatever we want. So I made like an ashtray, which can hold my uh, weed and it can also hold Palo Santo and it can hold my incense. So I made this little tray. I also made like a little soap dish slash... Um, I don't know, it's like a little like little slab that I could hang up on a wall or I could like put it near my altar or maybe I could hold keys on it. In any case, super cute. And uh, I made a little bowl. And then like our teacher, Sasha, she went around like with two different types of dust. And she was like, one of them is for manifestation. So it's like manifest and we sprinkle the dust on it. And the other one is called, um, uh, how do you say, like uh, release or um, push out. It's about like clearing. Yeah. So like getting rid of bad, bad energy. So I took some of that too and I put it in the bowl that I made. And I was just like, this is exactly the kind of class that I want to be taking all the time. You know, like it's ceramics, it's pottery. So it's something I enjoy. That's like, I've, this is the second class that I took this month and I fucking love it. I want to keep taking more classes there. And also it's like mystical. You know, everybody there is into zodiacs and astrology and they're into the moon phases. They're into crystals. They're into incense and prayer and altar. They're into that. And I like it. I'm into it, you know, and I was like, this is, this is my vibe. This is really, really the kind of space that um, I want to be in. And uh, yeah, so really magical time. If you guys have not taken a ceramics class ever before, like aside from, you know, when you took like a pottery class when you were a little kid, I really encourage you to take it because it's just, there's something really fun and earthly and grounding about touching clay, you know? And um, our teacher mentioned this. She was like, you know, clay has both earth and water and air elements, you know, you take all of those things and then you add it and then you add fire to it because we take it to the kiln. So it has like all of the basic elements that make up the zodiac, make up the the Western astrological chart. And um, yeah, like make it, it's part of who we are as individuals here on Earth, too. We're made of the same stuff that the Earth is made of. So there's something really like stabilizing and supporting and rooting and grounding about ceramics that I quite enjoy and it's tactile you know you get to touch with your hands and make something with your hands and then you can make it into something that has a function a practical function that suits you personally yes so like I like an ashtray but I don't want it only ash in it I also like palo santo sticks I like incense so I made an ashtray that does all of those things for me you know and I, and I put my little animal creatures in there too like you know like a dinosaur and a squirrel and a bunny and you know like I just put this stuff in there and it just like makes it more uniquely my own, you know. I really, really encourage you to take a ceramics class if you have never taken one yet. Um, folks, I'm really happy to cover this show right now. So like I ended up binge watching this show this week uh, almost like by accident, you know, like Mask Girl. This show, it was advertised to me and I didn't think that I would be into it. But when I saw that Ko Hyun-jung is in it, I was like, okay, then I got to check it out, right? So this is Netflix sort of kind of being a false advertiser. I mean, Ko Hyun-jung does not star in this show. As we know, Ko Hyun-jung shows up like in the last two episodes of this fucking show. Like, come on. Like, she's barely there, really, you know? But they're advertising it to us like she's the star. This reminds me of the bullshit that Disney Plus pulled on us. And when they were saying that, you know, in that horrible, horrible, horrible casino show based on true events, who gives a shit? It was so bad. But they kept saying that Hunsaku was in it. And 
I watch it. I'm like, Sonsaku is barely in this show, right? It, it was similar to that kind of thing. So uh, I'm watching this show and I'm just like, just really carried away by it. It's really good. Yeah, it's got momentum. It's got, you know, complex themes. Yes, it's got good performances. I mean, I thought the actors were really excellent on it and it's a and it's a like a web series it's made for streaming i think this is like a netflix original original like i don't think this is like or maybe it is i didn't i actually didn't look into it it might be but i think this is a netflix original original and in that regard it's very unique right like here's a trend that i'm currently finding so in shows like anna which we found on amazon prime but it's made for that korean uh, streaming platform right and then there's school nurse files which is a netflix original and then there's somebody which is also a netflix original and then we have mask girl which is a netflix original what i'm finding across all of these shows the through line is that they are all complex feminist discourses yeah they blend this art house and indie film flavor but squeeze out a television show and it ends up becoming this highly idiosyncratic and gritty show with female leads uh-huh and it's like a very encouraging trend that i'm currently finding online streaming television shows are giving radical female voices space to be heard yeah so there's like freedom and flight there and these really unique narratives are cropping up thanks to streaming platforms where, you know, female protagonists get to curse, you know, female characters get to smoke. Oh, female characters get to have an OnlyFans page and, you know, dance around with their asses hanging out and make money through through Bitcoin. Oh, so it's like exploring these sort of edgy, you know, wild women kinds of themes that a uh, more men's mainstream and standardized television show would never dare go near. So in that regard, I really, really find this trend super encouraging. I'm into it. Yes, yeah, South Korea, you go, girl, you go. And then we have we have this very complicated character, right? I mean, our protagonist, Kim Mo-mi, is she's super complex. She starts out by being this like happy-go-lucky girl who's happy to be on stage and be adored. That's her thing. She loves being loved by random-ass people. Yeah, the crowd. She enjoys the crowd. She enjoys their love and attention. And she grows up into her adolescence feeling ugly. Why? Because her mom calls her ugly. And because she starts comparing herself to her mom. And because her school peers call her ugly. And they all have this logic. They all think because she is ugly... She has no business being on stage. Isn't that fucking wild? What the hell kind of logic is that? Because you're quote unquote ugly, you are not allowed to be on stage. That's fucking bullshit, okay? It's such bullshit. But sadly, Momi hears it when she's a young girl and she ends up believing it. And because she believes it, she starts using a mask to cover up her face. She never grows out of this fixation on physical appearances. And then she starts flaunting her body on her YouTube channel while hiding her face. And she is, she's basically a softcore porn actress. And this YouTube channel is basically an OnlyFans account. And she makes her money through Bitcoin. 
right? So there's something empowering about what she's doing, but she starts to、uh, lust after her male supervisor, who is a married man. He's having an affair with a different woman in his office, and out of jealousy and spite, she starts spreading rumors about him. And she does this out of retaliation, out of envy and jealousy. What I find interesting about this show is how much it antagonizes men who watch this kind of content. It's like why? Why is everybody being so judgy about that? Like, I find it interesting that the show assumes that only men watch porn or this kind of content. Why is watching porn something to be antagonized and you know shamed for? I don't understand. And I think at the heart of it. There is something valid about that. It shows or expresses the woman's disdain for being objectified, for being a woman, for having a woman's body, and I feel like that is valid. Oh yeah, yeah, I totally. That's validated. I honor that. Yes. However, however,、uh, we have to rem- we have to remember something. Okay, first of all, the camera is designed to buttress and prioritize the male gaze. This was this is theorized by Laura Mulvey. This goes back, you know, to the beginning of cameras, to the beginning of early Hollywood cinema. Okay, all of that is centered on the male gaze. It's built to support the male gaze. And what Mumi does, she plays into this world by assimilating to the male gaze. Right? She wears a mask, but she wears pretty eye makeup. She shows off her. Physical body, you know, and and sexually performs and and says things like, "Oh, I'm very wet," or "That makes me excited." Da da da. It's like she's basically a sex worker, right? The comments from Bumi's mother and her peers, they should have just passed through her. Like she never should have, you know, let those words get stuck in her net. But they did. They got stuck. They created this blockage, and Mumi's approach to love and intimacy are built on this unstable foundation of lookism. Okay, so it's just one's appearance dictates one's desirability, value, and worth. That is like ingrained in Mumi's mind, and not just Mumi, but in Mumi's mother's mind, in the minds of her peers. Okay, that、uh, anime, that the Korean anime lookism. Like I found a lot of similarities between Lookism and this show. I couldn't finish Lookism only because it's just a little too, it's a little too high school for me. I'll just put it that way. It's a little, it's a tad too immature,、uh, and too on the nose. But yeah, that whole thing is about appearance, physical appearance, and how that dictates how everybody judges one another, treats one another, and and.、Um, You know, expresses themselves out into the world. It's it's a very strange kind of logic. But anyway, that's yeah, that's a separate show.、Uh, Kim Momi's office friend Sang Soon plays a very interesting role here. She plays the critical voice of Momi. All right, so she and Momi fester on office gossip. They talk a lot of shit about their office colleagues, especially their female colleagues. They spread a lot of toxicity. Sang Soon's comments are also very antagonistic of everything that Momi worships, like her boss at work, like. You know her YouTube channel. You know Mask Girl's YouTube channel. Whereas her friend critiques this, Momi feels an insecurity because she's like, "Well, I'm also part of this world, right?" She's like secretly a part of this world, and she's ashamed of it.、Um, I read Sang Soon as Momi's inner critic in her mind. Yeah, like even though Sang Soon is an actual physical 
character in a supporting role, I I see Sang Soon as like a judge, like Momi's inner judge in in her own mind. Momi doesn't have to live with this voice as a part of her world, but she can't help but do so because of how women are constructed in our urban society, right? An educated woman, for instance, wouldn't necessarily uh, think or care about these things, right? That are quote unquote shallow, like your physical appearance, like your physicality, like, you know, whether or not you're desirable as a woman, right? Like an educated woman who is down with feminism, she would not care about these things. But then how does how does the rest of the world treat a woman? Does the rest of the world treat a woman based on these feminist standards and values? It does not. It does not. So Mumi's assimilationist mentality is actually to survive in her society, right? Okay. Um, also, it's very important to make this distinction this distinction, how much of the critical voice that Sang Soon and Bomi play off of when they're talking shit in the office, how much of that critical voice comes from an actual real feminist place? Feminists are people who care about equal rights for all of humanity. They care about human rights. They care about human beings being treated with fairness and dignity. Okay, so that is what feminist feminism is. But then the way that Mumi and Sang Soon talk, okay, they that talk is fueled by jealousy, competition, resentment. I mean, it's super toxic, right? That is not feminism. No. If women want to lean into that and call it feminism, that's just a big fat excuse. It's a big fat lie. That's not at all what feminism stands for. Feminism stands for everything but those things. So, yeah, uh, that's an important thing to make a point of but also uh, Mumi's like habits of doing this kind of shit talking and this kind of toxic building like that she ends up paying for that I mean that is also part of her crime her crime isn't only for committing murder it's also for doing this right I mean giving away her dignity giving away her power constantly by talking shit and gossiping Mumi's flaw is not only her inability to love and accept herself for who and what she is, but it's also for, again, giving away her power to these negative comments. Uh, Mumi ends up getting plastic surgery and she radically alters her facial appearance, but her life isn't all that different from when she looked like herself in, in her former life, right? She's still a softcore sex worker. That's the great irony. Like, after she ends up getting this plastic surgery to look like this quote-unquote beautiful woman that she's always wanted to be, her life is not that different. She's still flaunting her physical appearance to get attention from people, but now she's also a fugitive and a murderer. So her life is actually shittier than before the surgery. Due to the omnibus quality of this storytelling format, we can experience this world through multiple characters. Even Mumi's character isn't one character. She is played by multiple different actresses from her youth all the way to the point when she is in prison. Like all different kinds of actors play Mumi at different stages in her life. But I really appreciated Unam's character, the the male character, right? He was played by the wonderful An Jae-hong. An Jae-hong is an actor I love. We all know him from Reply 1988. He played the older brother. And he's just, I think, a supremely talented actor. And he was excellent in this role. I'm so happy whenever he's on TV. And Jae-hong has this bit of a Hitchcock, psycho 
like lifestyle or relationship with his mother. There's this emotionally incestuous relationship with his overbearing mother, Hedan, who does everything she can to keep him near, including being emotionally abusive towards him. And then Jaehong ends up dying. And after he dies, Hedan's whole life is about getting vengeance for her son. I mean, yeah, like really sick psycho shit, right? Um, but I felt. I felt very, uh, how do I say, emotionally, um, I don't know, like I felt my heart going to Jaehong, his uh, Jaehong's character, because he's just so like repressed. He's so emotionally and socially stuck because of his mother and the poison that she fuels his mind with. And it makes intimacy very difficult for him. But the omnibus narration style of this show also made it kind of, you know, the show was somewhat disjointed because of it, right? Like, I didn't have a feeling like, oh, this is one consistent blanket that I can always cozy up with. It felt like different shows happening all at once for me. And that was like a little bit uncomfortable at times. There were literally times when Bumi is completely excised from the story world. Like completely, especially when we're following her daughter Mimo's storyline, right? Uh, Mimo translates literally as beauty yeah when they say like oh like mimo mimo or me in they means they they mean somebody beautiful they they're talking about physical beauty so her class laughs when mimo introduces herself as mimo right because they're like why is she calling herself beautiful uh mimo feels unloved and unwanted by her caretaker which is her her, her maternal grandmother and she grows up with this with all these emotional issues um she's less occupied less preoccupied with her self-image like her mother is and like her grandmother is, quite frankly. She's unlike her mother in that regard. You know, she expects to be loved for who and what she is. Whereas her mother, Mumi, felt like she needed to be beautiful and entertaining in order to receive people's love. But Mimo is very, very different. She's just like, love me just as I am for existing. I feel like I deserve love just for being here on this earth. And that is the right attitude. That is the right attitude, although it is kind of stuck in this place of, again, resentment and blame. And she can't help but be be such, you know, because she was an abused child. In this regard, though, Mimo is a beacon of hope in this story world because everybody, you know, steps in to rescue her. Her grandmother does, her mom, her best friend. Everybody tries to rescue her. And it's because I think Mimo represents this pure desire to be loved for who and what she is she's not at all about that lookism worlding like everybody else is caught up in uh did you notice that uh mimo's best friend yechun her name is basically it's like similar like momi names her daughter mimo and then momi's uh hostess bar best friend was uh Chune, right? But if you take Chune and then make it backwards, it becomes Yechun. So Yechun becomes Mimo's best friend when they're when they're kids. I was like, oh, that's like an interesting um, little little Easter egg. Uh, Chune's storyline, devastating, devastating. Uh, she was in love with a high school boy, and he took advantage of her. Yeah, because you know she felt ugly, but he gave her attention, and you know she's like, oh my god, I must be something special. But he was exploiting her basically using her as an ATM. He literally calls her an ATM, okay? Um, this boy, he is, his, his name is Puyong. Puyong is a classic example of what I would call a fuckboy. Yeah, there were a lot of these when I was growing up, for sure. They were all Korean. 
No, they weren't all Korean. Actually, there were a few white boys who were just like this too. But man, I mean, that's such a fuckboy move. You know, like these boys are the same exact type as, you know, the quote unquote pretty girls who use their appearance to get stuff, right? To make money. These boys use their affection and charm to swoon girls who feel like they're less desirable for whatever reason. And they take advantage of them, right? By exploiting them for money. This is fucking sad. Um, and also, what is Puyong's deal? Why does he feel the need, you know, to be like a fucking teenager and prostitute himself for money like this from other kids in his own community, in his own school? I mean, what made him so mangled emotionally and mentally to go around behaving this way? It's truly sad. It is really, really fucking sad. Um, and what does Chune do? Chune, you know, she, I mean, retaliates in the biggest way. She uploads compromising photos of him and ruins his K-pop career. Ends it. Ends it, right? So, I don't know, like, on the one hand, okay, I mean, did this boy Puyong have it coming to him? Yeah, I guess. I mean, he was like a shitty kid. But, I mean... Is it worth taking that kind of enacting that kind of vengeance on a on a person? I don't know. That's something to question. Kind of reminds me of like that whole situation with the hometown cha cha cha. Remember when that actor was called out right after the success of that show? He was called out for um, coercing his girlfriend into getting an abortion. I mean, like, no, come on. Like, she got an abortion. She's the one who got an abortion. He was a part of that decision, but she's the one that ended up getting that abortion, okay? I mean, hello. Also, like, why would you want to fucking keep a baby that he doesn't want? If you keep it or get rid of it, it's up to you. The choice is yours, girl. I mean, that's your body. You get to choose and do as you please with that body of yours, okay? Um, yeah, like, she just felt dumped. Right? She felt dumped. She felt rejected. So she retaliated by going online and talking shit. And it did impact his career. And he tried to kill himself, right? What a fucking drama queen. On all levels. Everybody involved in that fucking thing. Drama queen, drama queen, drama queen. And this is the same case for this kid, right? This boy, he's being a drama queen. Like, drinking all the time, not working. He ends up becoming a scrub. He ends up scrubbing the shit out of this woman. She ends up bankrolling his ass. He's abusive. You know, he's negligent. He's an asshole. But that relationship is based in what? Is it based in love? No, it's based on fear, resentment, blame, hatred. The only thing that bonds them is their physical attraction towards one another. And that physical attraction is not even real. It's not real. The boy was trying to be a K-pop star. Not real. And she was trying to be uh, like a booty girl. Not real. Both of them are fake. Yes? And that's why they end up together. And that's why they end up ruining each other's lives. I think Chuna's storyline was the most heartbreaking for me. Only because like, I, I, was, I was relating to her storyline in some way. Like my adolescent self was relating to that storyline. Since I was young, I felt this need to please other people. Like, I needed to buy their affections. Like, I needed to buy their respect. Like, I needed to buy their attention. But that's not how it works. It's not. I mean, there's literally nothing for me to give anybody in exchange for love. Not a single thing. Because love is and should be unconditional. Yes? 
Does South Korea and the Korean diaspora community place a lot of emphasis on physical appearance? Yes. Hello? I mean, where do you think Korean beauty standards come from? Where do you think Korean beauty products come from? I mean, the whole branding thing is based on that cultural obsession. They're obsessed with physical appearance, obsessed with beauty, obsessed with good skin, obsessed with, you know, the shape of your face, your body, all of it. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it is super toxic. Why? Because it's all based on this mentality. Like, how are they looking at me? The whole thing, like... I'm going to fix my appearance so that I feel like they're not judging me in a negative way. That they're not judging me as ugly. Oh my gosh. That is like an exhausting place to be mentally and emotionally. It's so exhausting. When I was a kid, I knew this girl. She was very pretty. She had a pretty face. And everybody wanted to be friends with her because she was pretty. Adults and boys wanted to be around her because she was pretty. People compared other girls to her because she was pretty. And this poor girl, all she was ever thinking about was her fucking looks. Yeah, that's all she did. She was buying makeup since super young. She was always like curling her hair, uncurling her hair, straightening her hair, curling, uncurling her eyelashes. That's all she ever did. And she would talk about nightmares that she would have where like her eyelashes fall off or her like eyebrows are shaved off, whatever. Like all all of her nightmares had to do with her physical appearance disintegrating. But here's the thing. I mean, I learned, not learned. I mean, this is just a reminder that I was given at my ceramics class today, right? Part of the beauty of ceramics is that the things that we make with our hands, like out of clay, they do end up disintegrating. They become dust at some point. Uh, They break, you know, like every time I break a plate or a mug, I'm so sad because I loved that piece. But they do break. And so there's an end to all things, right? Beauty fades. Yeah, beauty fades. Charm is deceptive. That is the root of what charm is. It's deceptive. It's not real. Neither are real. So your physical appearance is also not real. How can we how can we try to depend our existence and our self-worth and our happiness on something as flimsy as our physical appearance. I mean, it's ridiculous. It makes no sense. And with these characters trying to make that make so much sense, that's where all their energy gets put in. And they all end up killing themselves and one another. Yeah. Really interesting show. Really, really top-notch interesting show. The question I've been asking myself all week, and maybe this is helpful, is uh, I've been asking myself, who am I? Yeah, I would ask myself this every time I meditate. Who am I? But I would reframe this. It's not even who. Who implies a person? What am I? What am I? That's way less confusing. To say who am I, it's fucking confusing. If I say what am I, not confusing at all. Now it's suddenly really open. What am I? And I was listening to Tara Brock's Dharma talk today. And she was just like, we are just a witness. We don't judge. We don't analyze. We don't create stories or tell stories. We are simply a witness to the life that is currently happening in this physical vehicle. That is my body. That's all it is. That's all this body is, a physical vehicle taking me through an experience. Yeah, that's it.
That's all, right? Therefore, our emotions or our thoughts related to whatever this physicality is, also an illusion, also not that important, doesn't really matter, ultimately. Mm-mm. We make we make something out of it, like a mug or, you know, like an altarpiece, but then they break. All of them end up breaking. All of them end up becoming part of the earth again. It all fades. But what am I? Just one eternal witness. Yeah. Ugh, so much comfort and freedom in that. So much comfort and freedom in that. In any case, uh, folks, have a wonderful super blue full moon this week. Full moon in Pisces. And um, I think for super full moon in Pisces, the thing to look out for is, um, yeah, ask yourself, how am I unconditionally loving to myself? Yeah, how can I love myself unconditionally? Oh, excellent question. That's a good question to ask for this full moon. How or how am I? Are you doing it already? How am I currently unconditionally loving myself? Yeah, I guess one thing I'm doing is like I'm trying not to judge myself whenever I hear thoughts going off in my head. I'll hear all these thoughts a lot of like half the time they're negative and then I end up judging myself for having these negative thoughts. Now it's just like, okay, let them fire off. These are just thoughts and let me just not judge them or antagonize them because then that'll make it worse, right? Okay, we're all in this work together. We're all practicing. We're all trying to get better at it. But bottom line is, what am I? Am I this physical body? No, I am not. And neither are you. Great show. More of this show, please, Netflix and Amazon Prime. Whatever. All of you. More of show. More content like this. Yes.